Hey, it's Jose Galison of No Way Jose. Uh, you can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. You can find me on uh, all the major audio podcasters and Odyssey as well. Uh, credit to my dude who made my intro, Justin Campbell at jcamp1521. If you're a podcaster out there looking for someone to help you out with stuff like that or editing or anything like that, hit him up. I'm sure he's down to do freelance work. Uh, if not, I lied. Uh, I, I just assume everyone likes money. Um, today, my guest is Sal the Agoras or Sal Mayweather, whichever, whichever you like to go with. Uh, today, they we're doing the second, uh, doing the second of the, our series of a live reading of New Libertarian Manifesto. Um, I do want to give you guys, I always tell you guys this, what's going on, so you guys know the current format in case I change it. But this is a live stream. It's available the day of, um, you know, and essentially, like, it's public. I'm going to take it down after. Uh, and it'll still be available for my patrons, but it'll go up public like a week later. So it's the 10th right now. So if you're watching, you're watching the live stream. If not, you'll get it roughly about a week or so later. Uh, the lowest level to be able to get access to that is $2. Uh, the highest is, uh, you know, I have a $20 level as well. There's different perks for every level. I'm not going to go through them. The highest is the sponsor level. Uh, and I read them off because you're my sponsors. Uh, I have CD McRae of the Whiskey and Tea Podcast. You should go check her out. Uh, at SpaceCat2K, a good Twitter account you guys should go follow. Uh, he's also done an episode on the show with me before. Uh, Jacob Winograd of the Daniel 3 podcast, great biblical anarchy content if you're into that. Liberty Down Under of the, uh, I believe he has the Liberty Down Under podcast. He also has uh, the Liberty Gum Tree or, or the Gum Tree of Liberty. Uh, that's, that's I, I, need, I keep saying I need to go check and I always fuck it up. Uh, but yeah, go check him out. He's an Australian living living over in that shit. So he has a lot to say about the current nonsense over there. Uh, the link for that, patreon.com. So no way Jose 2020. Uh, to let you guys know what's coming up, uh, you know, I also do want to remind you guys, we're doing this live stream, New Libertarian Manifesto. I also have completely done with Caleb Brown. I did Agris Primer. So go check that out. Uh, if this is something that interests you, I've already done the entire, one of Konkin's entire books. But I do want to let you guys know what's going on here. Uh, I have Sal with me today, like I said. And on February 15th, uh, so I guess if, you've, if you're watching this when it goes public, it'll already have happened, uh, likely. Or it'll be the day of. I haven't decided yet. But either way. I have set up, uh, you know, Sal and Dave Smith, and we're going to have the, you know, the agorism versus politics discussion. Uh, I wouldn't just for, if you guys are looking for a knockout drag out brawl, it's not necessarily going to be that. I want to have some sort of mixture between like an informal debate and a, uh, and a, like a, like a discussion basically. So, cause I, I don't know. I mean, debates are fun, I guess, but that's not really me or Sal's thing. Uh, I'm going to mostly try to set up to be Sal and Dave talking, but I'm sure I'll pop in here every there. I'll kind of, be a third man slash moderator kind of weaving in and out of that. Um, but yeah, as always go check out top lobster, top lobster.com use Jose at checkout for 10% off. Uh, uh, we don't have a uh, tower gang. Uh, we don't have a guest yet scheduled for this upcoming week, but on Saturday, uh, the, what would that be? The, the 13th, I think uh, might be off, but 
that will be going on Nationalist Capitalist, and it'll be all the Tower Gang guys on there. So it'll basically be an episode of Tower Gang or Tower Power Hour on Nationalist Capitalist. So if you want that, uh, go check that out. It should be fun. It's his 200th episode. Uh, with that, let's get into it. What's up, Sal? What's up? How are you? Are you- Good, good. Are you ready to kill kill Dave Smith? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's funny. I've already got like most people being like, oh, they're going to get into it. I'm like, just because people see you online no. and then they get like an idea. I was like, have you ever watched him in a podcast? Like, it's not my style. I'm not a confrontational, <laughs> hostile kind of dude. Yeah. So I, I, think I am excited. I am. Yeah. No, I'm like, I'm totally excited to actually have the discussion with him, though. I don't know that i can't think at least i can't think of any particular time where anyone's actually laid out the ideas of agorism directly to him so who knows maybe i'll convince him or maybe he'll convince me yeah who knows uh you know we'll be all filthy status by the end of it (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding i don't think dave smith's a filthy status i'm just joking um yeah um i guess at this point, I won't do an intro again because hopefully, if somebody have watched the previous live reading, it'd be redundant to do this for every one of these ones. But at this point, we can go ahead and get into it. Uh, to start the live reading, uh, just for you guys, uh, so you know, this we're on chapter two. Agorism, our goal, we'll probably only knock out this one because this chapter is pretty long. So that'll probably be what this episode is, chapter two. And uh, yeah, we'll probably knock out another one next week or sometime later. But yeah, I don't know if you have anything you want to add before we get into it, especially, you know, with the, I mean, if you have something more to say about the Dave Smith thing, I think uh, I should probably try to ham it up like it's going to be confrontational, but I really think it will just be like a good conversation where we have disagreements, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, like whenever I do like one of these episodes where it's like this person disagrees with you and he's going to tell you why you're wrong, it's always like it's ne- it's never actually like as hostile and adversarial as people make it out to be yeah. because it's like we're at the end of the day we're all libertarians it's not like we're going to like it's not like we're talking to communists or something like that yeah no it, i mean but then again people get bent out of shape by the the little littlest minute di- differences uh, I, I don't really you know so what much, the, but those but, are the people who are more in it for themselves than yeah. they are for you know, the purposes of libertarianism or to promote the movement or anything like that. Those are the people who want to make a name for themselves or some shit, you know? Yeah. No, it, it, it is funny. Cause uh, we're talking about obviously aggressive versus politics. And there are plenty of times that I won't bring up my opinion about like a subject because I know, like I have no problem disagreeing with people and having a discussion or whatever, but I know a lot of times as soon as you like be like, well, this is why that won't work. They're going to get immediately ass mad, especially with something like aggressive. So uh, yeah, I guess maybe you don't have as much of a filter. I do. It's more like a, pick my battles plus slash i don't want to be arguing on twitter all day (laughs) that's my specialty is like like when i spot it i'm like no that's wrong and the gores is right and here's why (laughs) yeah well all right i guess let's get into it this uh should be a fun one um but all right agorism our goal as always feel free to to cut in at any point in time and uh you know if you have something to state about what they're saying all right the basic principle are we about to say something or is it a loud breath (laughs) No, I was gonna say so I like I didn't want it to just like just immediately like cut you off before you even started, but like so like he's about to like go over the idea of consistency, which is the entire like pivot point of agorism. It's like that is the main point of agorism is that this is a logically consistent theory. So like this is like really key what we're about to go over right now. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know. I, I know at some point he mentioned this is one line I use a lot to people to kind of explain what I'm getting at. And I always bring up like, shouldn't your like ends comport with your means? Like, shouldn't they be kind of the same thing? And like, that's one of the biggest things that makes the most sense about agorism with me, where it's like, exactly kind of, like we're going to do this thing that we don't really want to be a thing. And then somehow we'll end up with the thing we want. And I'm like, those. You know, like. if you start from the idea that you if you're trying to create a logically consistent theory of the social sciences, you inevitably wind up with agorism. And I think that's that's really the point of agorist primer. But that's also what Sam's about to discuss now. Yeah. All right. The basic principle that leads a libertarian from statism to a free society is the same that the founders of libertarianism used to discover the theory itself. That principle is consistency. Thus, consistent application of the theory of libertarianism to every action the individual libertarian takes creates the libertarian society. Many link thinkers have expressed the need for consistency between means and ends and not all were libertarians. There you go. There, that's, but he, he brings that multiple times. So he rephrases basically this uh, a horde of times. Ironically, many statists have claimed inconsistency between laudable ends and contemptible means. Uh, I, I guess that would be a good spot to actually pause there. Cause I mean, that's a very common thing with the state, you know, uh, I think I was listening to Dave Smith, Joe Rogan thing today and they were talking about for, foreign policy. And like, that's always the thing with foreign policy. Like we need to go kill these people and, you know, and endpoint freedom. Like it's like, yeah. well, <laughs> like, I don't, how do we get from there to here to there? Like that doesn't make we're sense. We're going to spread democracy by force, right? <laughs> we're going to, we're going to spread equality with drone warfare. And it's like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. That's, that's as logically inconsistent. In the same way, on a much lighter note, but it's sort of like using politics to create a state of freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. When their true ends of greater power and oppression were understood, their means are found to be quite consistent. It is part of the status mystique to confuse the necessity of ends means consistency. It is thus the most crucial activity of the libertarian theorists to expose inconsistencies. Many theorists have done so admirably, but few have attempted and most failed to describe the consistent means and ends combination of libertarianism. Right. Whether or not this manifesto is itself correct can be determined by the same principle. If consistency fails, then all within is meaningless. In fact, language is then gibberish and existence a fraud. This cannot be overemphasized. Should an inconsistency be discovered in these pages... But then consistent reformulation is new libertarianism, not what has been found in error. New libertarianism, agorism, cannot be discredited without liberty or reality or both being discredited. Only an incorrect formulation. I have something to say on that one. So like, so like this is um, <clears throat> one of my favorite arguments for agorism because it, it's so commonsensical and people still have a hard time understanding it. You wouldn't accept a logically inconsistent theory of chemistry or physics or any of the other natural sciences. So why should you accept a logically inconsistent theory of the social sciences? Sam doesn't think you should. I don't think you should. It doesn't make any sense why you would make uh, an exception just for, you know, the political economy. Like it, it, <clears throat> if you um, tried to perform an experiment using a logically inconsistent theory of astronomy, right? Let's say you did an experiment using the theory that the Earth is the center of the universe that experiment would yield nonsensical, irrational results. The same is true in the social sciences. So when you try to use politics to achieve freedom, you're going to wind up with irrational results like Gary Johnson getting 3% of the vote versus Orange Hitler and Grandma Nixon in 2016 and stuff like that. 
Yeah, no, it's a definitely a good way to put it. I do like how he kind of brought up that if you find an error in it, then it'll just like the idea is that then, but the whole point here is consistency. So if you find an inconsistency, well, it, basically then we just adapt the theory to be consistent or right. whatever. It's mm-hmm. kind of the uh, one line I've used before is like, if you're in a situation to where you're saying like, there's something wrong with your theory or your principles and it's like, well, okay, well then you need, or, or, or like I don't know, the, the argument would be when people say something like, "Oh, well, well, maybe this isn't exactly in line with libertarian theory," but it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Like if you're in a spot where you're saying that y- y- this doesn't match up with your theory, like, and I know people always like to like you know kind of shit on theory, but it's like a theory is supposed to apply in practice. So if you're in a situation to where you're like, "This doesn't," well, in this given situation, like, okay, well, either something's wrong with your theory, or you need you like and you need to reevaluate it, or you need to find a new theory because. Otherwise, your theory doesn't work because the whole point of theory is to put into practice. <laughs> right. Well, your theory without praxis is just hot air, right? And, yeah. and praxis without theory is misguided and irrational. And what, what Sam is saying is essentially if you if I make an error here and you guys discover something that I've done wrong, go with the correction. Forget about my error. Go with the correction. Don't hold this as like dogma. This isn't like a religion. This isn't a cult. This is science. And that's sort of what he's saying. And <clears throat> that's sort of like sort of my feeling about like the whole debate kind of thing. It's like one of the reasons I don't like the adversarial nature of the, of the debate is because you get cornered into one position and I get cornered into another and we have to defend that belief no matter what. Whereas in my opinion, if I go into a, de- if I leave a debate with more or higher quality information than I had coming into it, then I, I'm actually the winner. Right. And if I, if you tell me something that I didn't know or I disagree with, I'm going to say, Hey, Jose, that was a great idea. Uh, and I never thought about that. And I think that's really what, just what Conkin's saying here. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, I should, I think even in this, because I know a lot of people might see, you know, I just, I brought up the Dave Smith, uh, you know, whatever thing we're going to do next week. But uh, a lot of people might think it's kind of like a 2v1. But I've even noticed like things you argue about that I may have slight disagreements about or take more of Dave's side <laughs> on one thing or another. Like, I mean, maybe that's more just me specifically, but I don't, I, I, and I, I guess he kind of goes into here too. I don't necessarily, I don't look at like me, my agorism label as a, as like a fucking faith thing. If I disagree with one minor thing and I'm sure you feel the same way, like I'm, I'm not going to like be like, well, this is an agorism. So I, I can't believe that. Like I have to think it through on my own. And you know, I, this will be kind of one of those things where like there might even be things that I'm strained out or you're straightened out on in the talk with Dave or whatever. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. For example, uh, I, I know you have your own opinion on uh, like New Hampshire and the Free State Project. And I have a kind of minor differing one, but which I think is probably even different from Dave's. Like so there's three different positions probably right there. So the idea that we should just hold to something because it's a belief, like he's not trying to make it dogma. And I do think that's important. Right, exactly. And there's there's, there's room in agorism for a wide array of beliefs, right? Yeah. As long as it's not, um, <clears throat> like as long as it doesn't border on socialism, then yeah. really anything else is acceptable as far as I, I'm concerned. I would argue, because uh, I, I always use the case, I treat it kind of like objectivism and the idea of like, are you an agorist? And like, okay, well, I think Konkin it gets to be have the purview of what is an agorist and he kind of laid out very simple things and there are certain things where i'm like okay well i don't know if i could call you that i mean you can call yourself that if you want i won't get upset about it but technically because for example a lot of people always like to be oh i'm an agorist but i i you know i i i I vote or i or not even vote but i'm in the political party or i'm in the lp or whatever and you're like okay well i mean that one was a little uh (laughs) 
well, that was like I said, laid out clearly there. <laughs> right, right. And well, like I said, you can't it can't border on socialism, and that includes uh, political participation because that's yeah. that's socialism. So yeah, no, I'm with you. There's so many agorists that like are like, yeah, I'm I'm an agorist, but I you know I still do this, and you're like, and you don't want to be that guy to be like, well, that's not agorism, but you're like. I mean, you can call I yourself. I can tell that, you stories, brother. Kind of not. <laughs> the amount of the amount of people I've come across who are like, they have podcasts, like Agora's podcast. They write books and they're telling people to go vote. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then they get mad at me and they're like, you know, you're what are they? You're you're gatekeeping is what they say. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I look, like I said, you can have any opinion you want within the realm of agorism, right? And that's not part of yeah. it. Yeah. It's just a simple to me to like, well, then you don't really understand the definition. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, did you really read it? <laughs> right. uh, like, I get it. We talk about there's room within it. And I'm not even saying that you should be like, hold these positions to keep the label. Like, if you don't believe it, that's cool. It's just kind of like, you're kind of lying to yourself if you're still holding on to the label. Because it doesn't really, it's not an accurate description of you anymore. <laughs> like, yes, yes, yes. This, you, get, you get this a lot from the, the why not both crowd. Yeah. Right? These are the people who are like, why not both? Why can't we do politics and agorism? It's, it's like, well, why can't you do chemotherapy and smoke a pack of Marlboro Reds at the same time? Right? You wouldn't do that wouldn't make any sense, right? So, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't drive drunk on your way to like the fucking drunk driving awareness committee. So it's like, what are you doing here? Why would you engage in politics and anti-politics? <laughs> yeah, no, it is a I don't know. But yeah, there are minor differentiations within it that people have and but it is, it's kind of one of those things that like what he laid out to some extent is like, okay, but then there's wiggle room within there that isn't specifically laid out. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I can't even think of one top of my head, but oh, you were going to say something? No, I'm just going to say like, who, like none of us are imperfect. We don't fucking yeah. know. Right. So yeah. it's like, who the hell are we? You know what I mean? Yeah. Who, who are you? To, or who am I to tell you that you're wrong? And who are you to tell me that I'm yeah. wrong? We're not Jesus Christ. We don't have the 100% objective answers here. Yeah. And agorism might be oh, wrong. I don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. It's like, I really believe that agorism is correct. I'm yeah. convinced it's correct, but I don't have like, um, it's I don't have like a two plus two equals four sort of deductive proof that I can use. If I did, I would bring it out. But I think the strongest proof is the consistency that Conkin's talking about here. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, it is a. Uh... It's very social sciencey, which you've already mentioned multiple times, and that's the problem. And that's just practice problem in general. From any practice you're taking, is we're talking about what people do. It's essentially praxeology. It's like we're. It's very much. It's not a hard science to the extent of I can tell you exactly what's right. going to happen. <laughs> also, also, don't forget, Sam is coming at this from the perspective of a chemist, right? He he's a chemist by training. That's his job. That's what he's doing when he's writing this book. Um. And he's a brilliant chemist, by the way. Very, very smart. But that's that's what the whole um, methodological approach is, is about. Yeah. That's why he's sort of approaching it as if it were like a scientific theory or, or like a, a, a theory of the natural sciences. Yeah. All right. Let us begin by setting our goal. What does a free society look like? Or at least a society as free as we can hope to achieve with our present understanding. Undoubtedly, the, the freest society yet envisioned is that of Robert Lefebvre. I never know how to pronounce his name. Lefebvre. Uh, Lefebvre? Well, that doesn't make sense either, but okay. <laughs> French. It's yeah. French. Uh, all Bob Lefebvre was, Bob Lefebvre was um, a, a pacifist professor on the West Coast who Murray Rothbard had his crew that he was teaching on the East coast at the same time, unbeknownst to the two groups, 
Bob Lefebvre was doing the same sort of thing on the West Coast. And uh, on the West Coast, it was like Sam Conkin and Victor Komen, who some of you guys might follow on Twitter. But Bob Lefebvre was a pacifist who was actually the basis for Bob Heinlein's character, um, uh, uh, Professor Bernardo de la Paz in The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, which is one of my it's, it's the best book that's ever written. So if you haven't read that, check it out. And when you do read it, remember that Professor La Paz is based on Bob Lefebvre. Yeah, and Bob Lefebvre, or Bob Lefebvre was uh, very much, if I recall correctly, from the only thing I think I've ever read of his is the the the, the letters back and forth at the end of this. But um, I, from the vibe I got or what I recall, he was very much a lefty libertarian, and not in the sense that uh, we would define him. Like he might even fall, he might fall into that classification. I don't know, but he was very much of what <clears throat> the colloquial use of left libertarian today. Very. Um, you know what he was? He was he was. Pr- Pro free market. Um, he wrote a he wrote a great book. I can't think of the name right now, but he also has a series of lectures on the Mises Institute um, website that everybody can everybody should. It's all about like the history of anarchism. So I I, I used it as a source when I wrote anti politics, but um, <clears throat> he was sort of like us, or at least like like me or Conkin, um, in the sense that were left libertarians he was the same way he was very much um inspired by like tolstoy and thoreau again he was a pacifist he didn't even believe in self-defense bob lefebvre was one of the best man he was one, one of the most underrated anarchists out there everybody should read him not enough people even know who he is yeah i'm one of them i only knew him from this i would have never heard of him if it wasn't for this book um all relations between people are voluntary exchanges a free market no one will injure another or trespass in any way of course, a lot more than statism would have to be eliminated from individual consciousness for a society to exist. Most damaging of all to this perfectly free society is its lack of mechanism of correction. All it takes is a handful of practitioners or coercion of coercion to enjoy their ill-gotten plunder in enough company to sustain them, and freedom is dead. Even if all are living free, one bite of the apple, one throwback, reading old history, discovering evil on its own will unfree the perfect society. Uh, kind of missing his point here. If you want to, I'm trying to see what he's sure, saying. Sure, yeah. So what he's saying is that it's it's freedom is fragile. Yes. And it, and it, it really only, it doesn't take a lot to, if once we get to a free society, it doesn't take a lot to throw us back to statism. Yeah. And um, one thing he says here that's really prescient is it only takes one throwback, he says, one reading of old history. Um, which I think is absolutely key because not enough people, especially not enough agorists, understand the importance of revisionist history, understanding a a true, um, understanding true history. Actually, the the, the project I'm working on now is a book on um, history for a lot of the reason why is because of what uh, Sam says here about the, the importance of it. Yeah, no, that's a good point because I mean, uh, you know, obviously, agorism. Most people, and we were talking about the Dave thing. You know, political action, like it's the same idea. Like, like Rothbard's a perfect example of the track he went on and how he ended up leaving the LP. I know he went more paleo, but still, it's kind of like uh, you're. We're just doing all this shit over again. Like I, like it's a matter of like learning for his from history. <laughs> like, <clears throat> well, yeah, um, I think. You're you're 100% right, but I think what Sam's talking about is even deeper than that here. He's talking about understanding the yeah. true causes between behind the Civil War and understanding the true cause of World War One and World War Two and Pearl Harbor. And, like, if anybody wants to learn more about revisionist history, check out Ralph Rako's book 
Great Wars and Great Leaders, which is one of the yeah. greatest history books you'll ever read. And in that book, he defines revisionism as the unmasking of excuses for war making. And that's really what, what Sam's talking about here, I think. Yeah, I think the uh, reason why I was a little confused there for a second is because I just, like I said earlier before, I, I just finished the Agorist Primer when I remember one of the parts in there, he was kind of describing an Agorist society and he was kind of almost making light of how it would almost be silly for it to revert because of the idea of how efficient it would be or whatever. But maybe he's getting to a point here or maybe he kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just different context and how he was writing it or whatever. Uh, and I guess we'll get more into that in a second to see where he's going with this string of thought. Because it almost seems like he's kind of saying the opposite thing in Agorist Primer at one point, which I don't know. I mean, there was a period of time between that. Maybe his opinions just changed a little bit or maybe it's a context thing within the reading. So That's a good catch. Yeah, I haven't yeah. even never thought about that. But yeah, you're right. That's That's a good catch. Yeah, because that is totally, I think it was toward the end. He was totally talking about, you know, like he was kind of, you know, walking it into like, hey, here's your agri society. And, you know, everyone be like, oh, it could, go, it could revert. But he was kind of getting like, well, that'd be kind of silly, sort of, you know, but I don't know. All right. The next best thing to a free society is a libertarian society. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. That's Thomas Jefferson. And he may be, it may be possible to have a small number of individuals in the marketplace ready to defend against sporadic aggression. Or large numbers may retain sufficient knowledge and ability to use that knowledge of basic self-defense to deter random attacks. The coercer never, coercer never knowing who might be well-versed in defense. And eliminate the profitability of systematic violence initiation. Even so, there remains two problems inordinately difficult for this system of anarchy with spontaneous defense. First is the problem of defending those who are noticeably defenseless. This can be reduced by advanced technology to people who are quadriplegic morons, assuming that won't be solved by sufficient technology, and very young children who re require constant attention anyways. All right, I think I, I may have seen the inconsistency here. I think he was just saying in the context of specifically LaFaire's uh, interpretation of an anarchic society. I think it's what he, that's kind of what I'm getting at. He's breaking down here. So, yeah, um, but, 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 but Bob Lefebvre, <clears throat> um, his conception of an anarchist society is exactly what we would expect it to be. Okay, maybe there's some minor differentiation he's going to kick. kick uh, yeah, I, 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 I'd have to think more about it, but yeah, you definitely bring up a good point. Yeah, because it just is, I guess it's kind of throwing me off. Maybe I'm just reading it wrong. I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, then there are those who for a brief time go defenseless, and even the rarer cases of those who are overwhelmed by violence initiators wishing to test their skills against a probably weaker foe. The last is most rare simply because of the high risk and low material return on investment. Those who need not and should not be defended are those who consciously choose not to be pacifists. Maybe this is the point he's getting at because he's kind of shitting on his pacifism a little bit, I think, maybe. <laughs> uh, Lefer and his disciples need never fear some libertarian will use methods they find repugnant to defend them. Perhaps they can wear a dove button for quick recognition. Far more important is what to do with a violence initiator after defense. The case in which one's property is violated successfully and one is not there to protect it comes readily to mind. And finally, though, actually a special case of the above is the possibility of fraud and other forms of contract violation. Okay, that is where it is. That's totally what it is. He's totally describing. He's basically shitting on pacifists here because his, his idea is that because the pacifists, I'm assuming, I, was, I, I don't know LaFaire's position, that he wants <clears throat> to literally do nothing to anyone who aggresses or does anything and just kind of hopes so that behavior will weed itself out. Yes. So, you know. so like, yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. And he, so he, Lefebvre was his teacher, but he disagreed with him on this. Lefebvre didn't even believe in self-defense. 
like if someone robbed you, Lefebvre's thing was don't even hit them back. And he got that from Tolstoy. And um, I'll be honest, I always was with Conkett on this. And then I actually went back and read The Pacifists. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm basically convinced at this point that they were right. The from Pacifists? Yeah, from a strategic perspective, I'm almost convinced that they were right. Like when you read Tolstoy and you read Thoreau and you read Gandhi, it's it. They make it so. It's almost like um, when you read Rothbard and you learn about libertarianism. It's like, oh my god! It's almost like another veil is lifted when you read the pacifists because um, it really makes sense from a strategic perspective that you wouldn't want to um, you wouldn't want to fight back because then you expose the brutality of the state to the masses, and that was that was what Gandhi did. That's what, how he was able to throw off the British. That's how he got the British out of India. Right? He okay. ended the British Raj with but, pacifism. But are you speaking specifically in a context of criminal justice or just immediate in, safety? In terms of or... revolutionary anarchism. In terms okay, because, yeah, I 100% agree. If we're talking about that, yes. No, I think w when it comes to political violence, like I think the vast majority <clears throat> of the time it's the dumbest fucking thing you could possibly do. Like, But... I mean, depending on specifics. I mean, if assuming you're going to have the right people, it's a little bit morally permissible, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. But it's kind of strategically retarded. <laughs> See, I don't. I, I I won't call myself a pacifist because if somebody attacks you, I think that you have the right to defend yourself, whether or not I think it's a good idea or not. I think you have the right to defend yourself. But like, if anybody's ever seen that movie, um, just I think it's just called Gandhi with Ben Kingsley. There's a scene in there where they're actually like they're not supposed to do something. I forget what exactly they were forbidden from doing, but they were just walking up into like the fort that they weren't supposed to enter. And as they just walked into the fort, they were being caned and they were just taking the beating. But all the other people were watching this happen. All the newspaper reporters were taking pictures and that eventually backfired on the state. Everyone's like, I can't believe what animals they are. And like, that's, that, like, that's what caused this sort of uprising. Not that particular incident, but that sort of um, reaction to the brutality that the British were pursuing in India at the time. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just one of those things that when you're dealing with a much larger foe, it really is just a matter exactly. of kind of silly. Also, look at – um, <laughs> Exactly. Well, exactly. And also look at Martin Luther King Jr. with um, yeah. the dogs in Alabama and Selma. He he told everybody, let them attack you because we want this. We want this on the news. We want people to see what the government is capable of, and it worked. And that is the strategic nature of pacifism. Yes, which I get that, and I think Konkin's point is kind of get. I actually think Konkin wouldn't even necessarily disagree with you. It's just a matter of because he goes into, and in this book we'll get into it. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of preaching the choir here, but this is more for the audience. He kind of goes more into uh, the different stages of the agorist revolution. And it doesn't, it isn't until like the end that he's like, all right, go fuck them up. And not even in like a bad way and more of a criminal justice type way of like, right. well, these people are in prison wrongly. We're going to take them out. You know, we're going to take these politicians. We're going to, you know, you know, do the proper criminal justice thing that we prescribe out here. It's not even necessarily that's an offensive attack. It's more just like, you know, kind of uh, reacting accordingly kind of thing. Um, and yeah, which I guess is kind of the in-between. So that's what, I, I think Conquin probably agree with you in that like aggressing against the state while you're in a, in not in a position to do so is the big dumb. <laughs> even, e even in um, like when we will get to it eventually, but even in the latter stages of the Igorist revolution, 
when you like after the revolution has occurred and the question is what do we do with the politicians now even then he doesn't think that we should enact violence on them even then he says we should it should be based on the restitution of property rights yep. restoring their victims to make them whole again not about aggressing on nancy pelosi or diane feinstein it's about making their victims whole again which i think is is um 110 percent yeah. um lefebvre's influence showing on conk in there yeah, and I think he's, well, don't get me wrong, the savage part of me wants much worse. Right. But, right. but at the same time, I, I get the idea, especially from a social science position, it's you're being, you're, it, it's, it's a you're matter being of consistent. Just, yes, you're being consistent and not even a like, oh, we'll just let them go or we're going to like murder them all. It's, it's, it's literally just, okay, well, what do they do? What is the appropriate way for them to, to achieve restitution here? Etc. And that doesn't mean they aren't deserving of the rest. It's just a matter of, and also I think that kind of violence can catch on in a larger, you know, you know, once you start killing your political enemies, even if you are the, the side of truth, I think it, it can have effects in a social science sense. So oh, no doubt. Yeah. All right. These cases may be settled by the primitive shootout or socially, that is, through the intervention of a third party who has no vested interest in either of the two parties to the dispute. This case is the fundamental problem of society. Any attempts to force a solution against the wishes of both parties violates libertarian principle. So a shootout involving no risk to third parties is acceptable, but hardly profitable or efficient or even civilized, save to a few cultists. The solution then requires a judge. Fair witness or arbitrator. Once an arbitrator to a dispute or a judge of an aggression has performed judgment and communicated the decision, enforcement may be required. Pacifists may choose arbitration without enforcement, by the way, which uh, I do like because uh, he is laying out his system of uh, criminal justice and it is more about the person who was, you know, essentially in some ways property was infringed upon. And it's a matter of, you know, making them whole again. And if they choose to waive that, that's their choice. So. Yeah, that's that's um, <clears throat> even in agorist punishment theory, there's no deterrence, right? An agorist will not if, if you have an agorist judge, <clears throat> he will not include deterrence as part of your punishment just because the only rights we have are property rights. So we can't punish you for something that's not a property crime. Yeah, if you steal $50 from me, <clears throat> I can get my money back plus interest rent any any pretend any loss that i have any capital loss plus recovery fees um and that's it and and we're, we'll get more into i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but just to yeah. we, we we mentioned arbitration and punishment theory so i just wanted to bring that up real quick yeah the following market system has been proposed by rothbard linda and morris Tannehill, and others it need not be definitive and may be improved by advances in theory and technology as this author has al already done at this stage of history, it seems optimal and, and is presented here at the beginning working model. First, always leaving out those who choose not to participate, one's ins one ensures oneself against aggression or theft. One can even assign a value to one's life in case of murder or inadvertent <clears throat> manslaughter, which may range from the taking of the violence initiator's life, taking replaceable organs, technology willing, to restore the victim's life, to paying a foundation to continue one's life's work. What is crucial here is that the victim assigns the value to his life, body, and property before the mishap. Exchangeable goods may simply be replaced at a market rate. Yeah, and I think um, at some point here, he's going to actually, he actually does say that, that you can punish for, punish for deterrence. But he's actually, he again, he had, in other points in his writings, 
um he goes back on that and i'm just looking for i don't see it so maybe it's in the primer maybe it's later on but yeah yeah no i mean he only had like two books so like two and a half or whatever (laughs) well don't forget don't forget back alley to the stars back alley to the stars i'll try to remember that you need you need to send me send me a yeah that's the next one we should do a live reading of because that one not 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 a lot of people know of at all well yeah that might be good especially since i haven't ever uh, I haven't read it myself. Yeah. So it'll be my first reading, so I'm kind of figuring yeah. as I go. May make it a little bit more, uh, I don't know, conversation-inducing, if you will. For sure. Um, a finds property missing and reports it to insurance company IA. IA investigates uh, either through div- another division or through a separate detective agency. IA promptly replaces the object A so that loss of use of the good is minimized. D now may fail to discover the missing property. In that case, the loss to IA is recovered by the premiums paid for the insurance. Note well that in order to keep premiums low and competitive, IA has a strong incentive to maximize retrieval of stolen or lost goods. One could wax eloquent for volumes and the lack of such incentive for monopoly detective systems such as state police forces and their horrendous social costs. Uh, now, like, it is funny how I can re- read him, and I see so much of other people now, especially once you become more familiar. Because, I mean, you already mentioned the Tenehills, but this is legit, just, like, ripped right out of the Tenehills. Right, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> right. Um, if D does cover the goods, say, in B's possession, and B freely returns them, the case is closed. Only if B claims property right in the object, also claimed by A, does conflict arise. B retains insurance company IB, which may perform its own independent investigation and convince IA that D aired. Just a quick little remark. I always hate when we get into like when theory people, when they do assign people like assign variables, variables as agents. Cause it like, I don't know if they just changed it to like a human name it, <laughs> or something. I know, but again, you have to remember that it's important. He is a, he is like a chemist. This dude is yeah. a science nerd. Like from yeah. where he's coming out, he's writing technical papers all day about like chemist, like chemicals yeah. and shit. So like, it's very natural for him, you know? Yeah. I just, I don't know. For me, it's like, I have to be like, okay, which one was D okay. Which one was IA? And like I, I get why, but at the same time, it's like can't you just put fucking names. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I'd be able to remember. Oh yeah, Bob. Oh Sally. <laughs> um, failing that, IA and IB are now in conflict. At this point, the standard objections to Mark and Anarchy have been brought up that the war between A and B has been enlarged to include large insurance companies, which may have sizable protection divisions or contracts with protection companies. But wherein lies the incentive for IA and IB to use violence and destroy not only its competitors' assets, but surely at least some of its own? They have so been like less- that's go ahead. That's that's really key right there, right? Yes. Because <clears throat> one of the main objections to anarchism is, well, if you and I have a dispute and we can't find an agreement, then of course that means the only way to resolve this is to shoot and kill each other. And what Conkin says is. First, he's, he lays out how a lot of this is going to fall into insurance companies, <clears throat> which is something Bob Murphy really spells out in chaos theory, if anybody's yeah. interested. But um, what, what I think is the, the point here that I want to really stress is that he says, um, wherein lies the incentive for both parties to the, to the dispute to use violence and destroy not only each other's property, but our own property. There's no incentive for that to happen, right? Yeah. So in other words... If we do have a disagreement and we can't reach reach uh, an appropriate uh, compromise, we're still incentivized to minimize each other's losses. Yeah. So that, that that's the only point I wanted to make up there because that, that is really key. That's one yeah. of the biggest objections to anarchism that we get, and he just 
did away with it really quick. Yeah, which I mean, and even that, I feel like that even applies on the individual level because even even if we didn't have these market forces, it would still be not as good. Like, say if it was a situation where there wouldn't be this insurance company for some magical reason. Like, even then, now if you just took the state out of your daily life and you had an issue with your neighbor, I don't know, he fucking he did some damage to your fence or something. Even then, like, yeah, okay, you, let's say there's no state. You go talk to your neighbor. And even worst case scenario, he's like, fuck you. We're not doing anything. Eat a dick. And you, if you're in a spot where you're like, I like, even you as a rational indivi- individual is like, well, I'm not going to go over there and beat him to death with a baseball bat to, and go steal, like, steal from <clears> him. Because <throat> this will obviously only make things worse for the both of us. Like, even on an individual level, we understand this. But for some reason, like, it just the idea of like there being no state is just, it just blows people's mind. Like, I mean, most and people, then- like, even absent like insurance companies will try to work it out, you know? And they think the same thing of, of private police forces. Like if, if I have a subscription with company A and you with company B um, <clears throat> and I steal your bike, then company B is going to come and have a war with company A. And it's just it's sort of like it's just really low level thinking. And it just goes to show how dumbed down the creativity of, of people has been by the state and and the department of education and public schools and so on and so forth. It's really bad that they are so they lack such a creative imagination that they can't come up with nonviolent solutions to simple problems. Yeah. They have even less incentive in a market society long established. Um, Yeah. Which I guess that kind of goes to my point. I just brought up even even on an individual level. I know everyone hears me make that example of like the guy with your fence and you're kind of like, well, that's shitty, but obviously the better the market is, like it's that the less incentive you have to do violence and the like the more market forces there are the more market options the let the more it kind of diffuses that to you're like well even if company a doesn't get from company b their due you paid company a to <clears> you know any right. part of their terms that you get what you need like or whatever you know like so the market in a sense provides and then now that's their problem to deal with at their level and it and and, and palu makes a good point in the chat he says um a state doesn't solve a crazy person from beating his neighbor to death. It just mops it up anyway. And that's, that's in the best case scenario. Sometimes they don't even do that. So it's like, even, even if, even if like your, your concerns are justified, the state is still not the solution. Yes. Uh, they have even less incentive in a market society long established. The companies have specialists and capital tied up in defense. Any company investing in offense would become highly suspect and surely lose customers in predominantly libertarian society, which is what un- is what under discussion. I would think even in a non-libertarian society, let's right. say somehow they were kind of like they still and you still somehow had this decentralized market that worked this way, a market of protection. Even if you weren't libertarians, you'd still be like, well, this isn't ideal. Like right, I don't yeah. like this. <laughs> I, I had I had the exact same thought too. Yeah. Right. Very cheaply and profitably, IA and IB can simply pay an arbitration company to settle this dispute, presenting their respective claims and evidence. If B has rifle claim, IA drops the case, taking its small loss compared to war, uh, which is an important note, and has excellent incentive to improve its investigation. If A has rifle claim, the reverse is now true for IB. Only at this way, point. Go ahead. By the way, this is being done right now. <clears throat> People are, are choosing arbitration and mediation services over court. Uh, services right now today because it's a more efficient method of dispute resolution than the, than the state offers also <clears throat> this is why people are using smart contracts now to get away from 
uh, the state arbitration mediation service because they're so costly and inefficient. So it's already we're already starting to see the counter counter economics infiltrate this aspect of the state as well. Yeah. Only at this point when the matter has been fully contested, investigated and judged and still B refuses to relinquish the stolen property would violence occur. B may have only been bothered so far as being notified of IB's defense on B's half and B may have chosen to ignore it. No subpoena could be issued until after conviction. But PB and IB step aside and B must now face a competent, efficient team of specialists in recovery of stolen property. Even if B is near mad and resistance at this point, he would probably be neutralized with minimum fuss by a market agency eager for good public image and more customers, including B himself someday. Above all, PA must act so as not to invade anyone else or harm the property of others. <clears throat> Which I guess it kind of brings to the point, like even if you get to the point to where it's that worst case scenario, they won't give up their property. Everyone, you know, that matters has basically been like, yeah, this is 100%. They fucked up. They would still go about it in the most efficient way possible, trying to reduce harm even to the so-called aggressor and to just reclaim your property. So Exactly. And now, now contrast that with the way the state does it, where like uh, – even like we saw, I don't know if you guys, if you remember a couple of years ago, the UPS driver in like Miami or Fort Lauderdale mm -hmm. who was taken hostage and their solution to resolving the situation was to kill him. <laughs> it's like that would never happen if that was in a private company. Who the hell would contract? Who would sign a contract with a, with a police protection company that has a reputation for murdering its clients? No yeah. one in the right mind would do that. Only the state only gets away with that vis-a-vis -vis its monopoly, and that's that's the point that Conkin's making here. Yeah, it, Waco is the best example. Instead of doing full-on Waco in a free market society, they would just black bag. Assuming you know, we're assuming he did something worthy right. of you know, which I, even that's in dispute. Let's just say he actually did something that violated someone's property and they need to reclaim it. And it was David Koresh in the situation? They probably would just black bagged him while he was on a run. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly like just like but, but, everyone says that they could have just gone on his daily jogs he went on <laughs> but this now he's he's getting into like sort of the crux of it all like, yeah. like right now he's, he's about to hit like the main point of it all yeah b or ib is now liable for restoration this can be divided into three parts restitution time preference and apprehension restitution is the return of the original good or its market equivalent this could be applied even to parts of the human body or the value set on one's life. Time preference is the restitution for the time use lost and is easily determined by the market rate of interest which IA had to pay immediately <clears throat> to restore A's property. Apprehension is the sum of the cost of investigation, detection, arbitration, and enforcement. Note well how the market works to give B a high incentive to restore the loot quickly to minimize apprehension costs exactly the opposite to most data systems and to minimize interest accrued. That is a good point there because the idea is that they're going to be charged for the apprehension. So like whoever the supposed aggressor is, is they know the longer they fight this, the worse it makes them on them. You exactly. know? So it's, it, it makes more sense to just give up the bag early than to, you exactly. Know. Just to keep dragging it out. And, and if I, in other words, if I, if I steal from you, I have an incentive to give you your stuff back and to yeah. do it quickly. Which is definitely not the state, the, the, the <clears throat> case in the no. state. It's well known how often large firms can completely do something com like super fucked up. And as long as I guess in their mind, it's worth it for the court fees, they can, you know, do lawyer tricks to drag shit on forever. 
And it's, but in the day, you know, whenever the person gets their claim, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, but I'd assume they probably don't really put too much of a crux on the time that they were held up in court to, you know, for the claim of the person, you know? Right, so, right. Maybe they do. I might be wrong. There might be a lawyer out there who says that's not the case and they do have some sort of provision for that, but I don't know. I don't have much faith in it. <laughs> so, uh, finally, know all the built-in incentives for swift, efficient justice and restoration with a minimum of fuss and violence. Contrast this with all their systems in operation. Know as well that in parts of all this system has been tried successfully throughout history. Only the whole is new and exclusive to libertarian theory. This model of restoration has been spelled out so specifically, even though it may be improved and developed, because it solves the only social problem involving any violence whatsoever. The rest of this libertarian society can be best pictured by imaginative science fiction authors which with a good grounding in praxeology. Mises' term for the study of human action, especially, but not only economics. Some hallmarks of society, libertarian in theory and free market in practice, called agorists, from the Greek agora, meaning open marketplace, are rapid innovation in science, technology, communication, transportation, production, and distribution, which I guess the kind of point that he's getting at is that with agorism, one of the main cruxes of it is entrepreneurialism. So you are literally, uh, by on your individual thing, whatever your thing is, you are improving the market. You're uh, essentially, and even Rothbard goes into this anatomy state of how, uh, maybe it's not anatomy state, but he kind of goes into how, you know, the, the state and, you know, I forget what the other one he uses, basically the people or whatever are always at odds. You know, they essentially you have the people, you, know, you can do predation and production. So essentially he's saying out, out, outpace them in production to where they can't keep up in predation, you know? Yeah. I think, I think also <clears throat> what Conkin's saying is that in a really, in a truly free society, progress happens very quickly. Um, we're going to, we're going to make really, we're going to make very quick science and scientific and technological discoveries and innovations. It's going to happen very, very quickly. It's also a point that Per Bilan makes um, in his book, the seen, the unseen and the unrealized. Um, sort of like another way of looking at it, I guess. But I think he's, I think he's 100% right. Um, you know, if you unleash the market, and we already see it starting to happen in terms of like cryptocurrency, that in the, the market that they can't really stop is sort of taking off the most. Um, and I, I think that that's sort of a, a major threat to them. Yeah. A complementary case can be made for rapid innovation and development in the arts and humanities to keep up with the more material progress. Also, such non-material progress would be likely because of total liberty and all forms of non-violent artistic expression and ever more rapid and complete communication of it to willing recipients. The libertarian literature extolling these benefits of freedom is already a large body and growing rapidly, which I guess he kind of touches on the arts and humanities there, and I, it's kind of sort of what we're doing right here. Although I would kind of make the case they're kind of inseparable. I would still consider this a form of production, if you will. Just maybe not like a tangible, like I can, you know, show I made. Well, I, I mean, you any, you can, but go on. And any, any like, um, like successful society has um, like a really vibrant um, like art community. Uh, Pericles had Homer, Victoria had Shakespeare. Um, and what he's saying here is that if we have the an agora, we're going to have another like blossoming of like artistic expression, something similar to that. We're going to have more Shakespeare's and more Homer's and more Virgil's because people have the creative and uh, creative mindset. Again, going back to Per Bond's concept of the unrealized, we don't know what we're missing out on 
because the state is oppressing us. They're yeah. tamping it down, so we don't know what we're missing out on. But what Konkin is saying is that society would flourish in ways that we can't even possibly imagine uh, if, we, if we got these parasites out of the way. Yeah, I was just using media as an example because it's a – well, it's not exactly that it kind of is, and it's a great example, especially with the Joe Rogan thing going on you know, lately and like – you look how like everyone else dwarfs him. It's just the idea of that. We are now in this point where we're the media has become, you know, and this is a, you know, kind of a consequence of production too, to where now it's so easy to have a podcast or this or that to where we're, we're out num We're outpacing the, the dilapidated fucking old guard of media. Yeah. Where, like they can't keep up, you know? And, and, and like, that's not just media that's happening in, in the financial sector. That's happening all over the economy we're doing it with 3d printing and manufacturing i mean we are the state is really um they're really on on a major decline and it's all in my opinion a result of counter economics yep one must conclude the description of restoration theory by dealing with some of the arcane objections to it most of these reduce to challenges to ascribe value to violated goods or persons letting the impersonal market and the victim decide seems most fair to both victim an aggressor the latter point offends some who feel punishment is required for evil and thought reversibility of deed is not enough for them though none of them has uh, come up with a moral basis for punishment rothbard and D david friedman in particular argue for the economic necessity of deterrence they argue that any percentage of apprehension less than 100 percent allows a small probability for success hence a rational criminal may choose to take the risk for his gain Thus, additional deterrence must be added in the form of punishment. That this also will decrease incentive for the aggressor to turn himself in and thus lower further the rate of apprehension is not considered. Or perhaps the punishment is to be escalated at ever faster rates to beat the accelerating rate of evasion. As this is written, the lowest rate of evasion from state-defined crimes is 80%. Most criminals have better than 90% chance of not being caught. This is within a punishment rehabilitation system wherein no restor restoration occurs. The victim being further plundered by taxation to support the penal system and the market is banished. Small wonder there is a thriving red market in non-state violence initiation. If you have anything to add to that, there's a lot there. Uh <laughs> um, yeah, so... <clears throat> um, and I don't even have a firm thought on either. I could totally take both sides. He, he, know, he's just discussing um, yeah. the whole concept of deterrence here. There's... Um, Shit, now I can't think of the name of it. It's uh, the the retributivist strikes back is the name of the article by a famous um, like liber like legal thinker that Rothbard fell back on in Man, Economy, and State, <clears throat> and um, it's just it's just the whole concept of deterrence essentially. And what 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 this what the point is in this article and what 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 we're saying here is that. The only rights you have are property rights. So it only makes sense to that you can only be punished for violating property rights. Once you punish somebody for anything more than that, you become the violence initiator. And I think that's really the, the key point here. All right. Even so, the, this criticism of agorist restoration fails to note that there is an entropy factor. The potential aggressor must put the gain of the object of theft against the loss of the object plus interest plus apprehension costs. It is true that if he turns himself in immediately, the latter two are minimal, but so are the costs of the victim and insurer. Okay, so the point he's getting at is even, I know Rothbard and David Freeman have their concepts of deterrence, but this already kind of has a built-in deterrence as it, as it is. Although if they do it immediately, I guess that kind of you know negates it. But you Exactly. Know, so, 
but then it's not really an issue at that point anyways. So, And I should point out, again, I, it, it must be in the primer, um, I think, where uh, he briefly mentions, like in passing, deterrence. Like, and, he, and he mentions it in, like a, um, in a way that makes it seem like, he, like he's accepting of it. But this is a much more – this is a much clearer, like, um, rejection of it, I think, than anywhere else. Uh, I think I probably lean towards him here, but I probably could. I mean, this is really gets into deep theory part where I'm like, I don't know. I'd have to think on this a lot. Um, but uh, it seems to be I'm kind of agreeing with with uh, Conklin here. Not only is agorist restoration happily deterrent in a reciprocal relation with compliance, but the market cost of the apprehension factor allows a precise quantifiable measurement of the social <clears throat> cost of coercion in society. No other proposed system known to this time does that. As most libertarians have been saying, freedom works. Nowhere in agorist restoration theory do the thoughts of the aggressor enter into the picture. The aggressor is assumed only to be a human actor and responsible for his actions. Furthermore, what business is it of anyone what anyone anyone else what anyone thinks? Which that's a good point. You kind of bringing up the idea of the deterrence idea. It's like now we're bringing in like the thoughts of of them in relation to it. Which is right. Kind of like well, why? <laughs> exactly exactly like who cares what this guy thinks i just want my shit back you know yeah. what i mean like yeah and it, i guess if we're going in a especially if you're using like a natural rights justification it's kind of like well then how does this play in you know of so, course and like how like in the, like the um and i didn't think honestly that i don't know where what Kong is referencing here in terms of rothbard because I didn't think Rothbard supported deterrence punishment. I know Friedman did, but um, I didn't think Rothbard did. Um, he's wrote so much; it could have been early on. I mean, he's changed opinions multiple times, so I don't. Know. I know you can find a Rothbard position to support basically anything at this point. But <laughs> my, my point here, what I'm the point I'm trying to make is that Rothbard was the clearest proponent of property rights, maybe that's ever existed, maybe to have ever lived. So for him to even support the deterrence is to sort of deviate from, from his own philosophy, which is uh, sort of ironic, which I don't think he – like I said, I don't think he did it. I'm not aware of it, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong. I know. I'm only like halfway through Ethics of Liberty because then Anarchist Handbook came out when I was like halfway through. So I haven't finished it. I mean if it was anywhere, I feel like it would be in there. So I don't know. I mean maybe it is. Uh, once yeah, I'm done with the Anarchist Handbook, right. I'll go back to it. So <laughs> – uh, but I don't know. Maybe someone out there want to let us know. I mean, check in the comments uh, later. Um, what is relevant is what the aggressor does. Thought is not action. In thought, at least, anarchy remains absolute. I like that. That's kind of poetic. Um, if you sit up in shock to find that I have crashed, crashed through your picture window, you don't particularly care if I tripped and fell through while walking by or if I engaged in some act of irrational anger jumping through or even whether it was a premeditated plan to abstract protectors across distract protectors across the street from noticing a bank heist. What you want is your window back pronto. What I think is irrelevant to your restoration. In fact, it can be easily demonstrated that even the smallest expenditure of energy in the subject is pure waste. I like that because it's true. It's kind of like we're getting into the what did they think territory, which and you can't put a blanket deterrence because if you're doing it for the sake of deterrence, it's not fair to apply the same deterrence to everyone. So yeah. now we're in this 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 idea of how do we apply a quantifiable amount to a thought, you know? Yes, yeah, and and notice again the influence of Konkin's scientific background here. When he's talking about the, the smallest expenditure of energy is complete waste. It's like he's like reading right out of Boltzmann here. Yeah, 
Motivation or suspected motivation, which is all we can know, may be relevant to detection and even to prove plausibility of the aggressor's action to an arbitrator if there may be two equally probable suspects. But all that matters for justice, as a libertarian sees it, is that the victim has been restored to a condition as identical as possible to pre-harm. Let God or conscious, uh, conscience punish guilty thoughts. Which uh, that kind of brought to mind hate crimes. I mean, that's kind of the same idea with hate crimes. Like, what difference does it make if you did it because you don't like them because of their race or you did it right. just because whatever. <laughs> right, right. And it's just he just basically just exposes how ridiculous those those laws are. You know, I, I don't even to even call them hate crimes is absurd in my opinion. But yeah, yeah like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. All right. Another objection raised concerns what will be done about violence initiators who have paid their debt to the individual, not society, and are free to try again with greater experience. What about recidivism, so prevalent in state of society? Of course, once one is marked as an aggressor, one will probably be watched more closely and thought of first when a similar crime is committed. And while work camps may be used to repay restitution in a few extreme cases, most aggressors will be allowed to work in relative freedom on bond. Thus, no institutions of criminal higher learning, such as prisons, will be around to educate and encourage aggression. So this is um, key here. Um, there is no, there are no prisons in an, in, a, in an agorist society and people like when you tell them that they just, their heads explode. Like, what do you mean? There's no, there's no prisons. What do you do with the bad guys? And it's like, well, the bad guys are paying for their crimes, right? They're, they're, they're restoring the victim. They're making you whole again. So there's no, there's no need to imprison anyone. Um, <clears throat> and the second thing that I like about to this, be fair, I will say it's a little bit semantic because, um, I guess, yeah, they wouldn't be in like a prison per se, but he does bring up the work camps. I mean, what do you do when they leave? I mean, you would bring them back. So it is kind of a, it well, is a little so, bit semantics, but it is different in, it is different in an essential way as well. So we're going. So it's different. So it's different. It's different. The work camps, he's got a great article that he wrote um, called The Bread is Mine Too, where he, he discusses the the work camps or what, what a lot of our detractors call um, the Agoras Gulags. But in reality, and what Konkin says, a lot of these politicians who can't afford to pay back their victims wind up in these gulags. And really, it makes sense because how else can they restore their victims, right, other than through work? And where else can they do that if they don't have the means or the capabilities then in, in, on a farm or on some, some sort of work camp, right? So that's, it only makes sense. It's the only way to do that in a nonviolent fashion or in a fashion that's consistent with the non-aggression principle. So there's no concept in an agora society of, of, okay, Jose, you did X, Y, and Z. You're getting 10 to 15 years and you're just going to sit in that cell for 10 to 15 years. That doesn't exist. There's none of that shit. We don't have that. Um, you're either going to pay the fine or you're going to work off your debt and then you're going to go home. And that's, that's, that's the end of it. And that's, that's the point that Conkin's making here. Yeah. Distinguishable characteristic of a highly efficient and accurate system of judgment and protection will be that it will occupy a negligible fraction of an individual's time, thought, or money. One can then argue that we have not portrayed 99% of the agorist society at all. What about elimination of self-destruction, which libertarianism does not deal with, space exploration and colonization, life extension, intelligence increase, interpersonal relationships, and aesthetic variations? 
All that really can and need be said is that where present man must spend half or more of his time and energy serving or resisting the state, that time, energy, physicist definition of action, will be usable for all other aspects of self-improvement or in harnessing of nature. I like that. Because um, he's, he's saying, like, whether you're servicing or resisting the state, the point he's getting at, you'd be better off using that for self-improvement or production. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So, like, um, in other words, he's saying, well, like, what about all these, like, futuristic concerns that people raise all the time? And, like, you even get this today with the Luddites, the people who are afraid of, like, technological advancement and stuff like that. It's even still a concern to this day. And what, he, what he's saying is that, look, in a free society, there's going to be so much more time to dedicate to those problems that they're going to they'll, they'll work themselves out. And um, we're seeing two things here. One, again, is we're seeing the scientist Konkin here, right? That's what he's, he's using the physicist definition of action uh, when he says time energy, right? This, this is a scientific definition. And secondly, we're seeing Konkin, the science fiction fan. Right, Konkin was a huge sci-fi fan. That's what brought Konkin to libertarianism, was reading Heinlein. And um, obviously, uh, agorism was, was you know, uh, explained in Alongside Night. So he's a huge sci-fi fan, and you're seeing that influence um, here. Yeah. I guess uh, I, I kind of read that. I knew what he was getting at, too, but I also read that as kind of also an argument against political action in a sense. Because, I mean, while there, you still have with the resisting the state, it, it's kind of the idea of that that time you spent trying to fight the state. I mean, you are, while doing yeah. aggressive action, fighting the state. But you're also, that time, don't get me wrong, there are positive aspects of political involvement. And the only positive aspects, the, really the only one is social. Like, that's it. But you can do that without it. So, like, because right. exactly. I, I said before, I, I said at one point, like, if I could, if I had my way, like, if I had my druthers, uh, you know, the LP would be abolished and it would just become arms. It would become like, uh, you know, arms of like every, you know, faction that already exists would just become an arm of the Mises Institute or something. Because right, I do. Right. I do. Like I do like, club. Yeah. Like I'm going to the uh, LP uh, thing in a couple of weeks, but that's just because I have a lot of friends there. Like I'm not going to like give anyone money or anything like right. social, like socially, you know, mingling amongst our own kind is still a good thing. Like that should be a thing that still exists. But like, Absolutely. it doesn't require the LP for it. <laughs> like, so and, and right, right, and that's it's absurd that to, for people to think that it does. Yeah, like we used to have back in the day. We used to, in Congo used to take part in 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 um, supper clubs, where it's like people would get together and have dinner at somebody's house. Like we don't do this shit anymore. Yeah, but like that's what that was. That was sort of. Um, like they were getting together and they they were like meeting at and like Murray Rothbard's house at night until like four o'clock in the morning. Like him and Walter Block and uh, Roger Garrison and like it was just so legendary. Like we don't do shit like that anymore. So it's like the only time people get together is at Pork Fest or the Bitcoin conference or at the LP Florida event or something. you know what I mean. So it's like we have to sort of rely on those those conferences and those events. 
Well, maybe in a certain way I'm engaging in agorism by doing that because I'm saying, hey, stop worrying about all that gay shit over there and let's just smoke weed and drink some beers. <laughs> <laughs> over this way, guys. I got weed for sale. <laughs> Never mind that Starwalk speech. I got weed yeah. for sale. <laughs> oh, oh, you're supposed to go vote on some shit? Like, come on. <laughs> hit this. <laughs> yeah. Forget about that. Take a hit. It takes a cynical view of humanity indeed to imagine anything but a richer, happier society. This, then, is a sketch of our goal in a detailed picture or enlarged focus on the aspect of justice and protection. We have the here and the there. Now for the path, counter-economics. All right, cool. The next chapter is counter-economics, our means, and we'll cover that. I don't know. Let me see how long this one is. Maybe we'll I'll try to figure if I'm probably going to do one or two for the next one. All right, looks like it might be one. This is a pretty long-ass chapter. So, yeah, that'll probably be our next chapter, but it looks like that'll probably be... That, that'll really be getting the crux of what agorism is really entailing, you know, kind of the means of what it is, what you're doing, et cetera. So, yeah, for sure. Hopefully, hopefully that'll be, that'll be after the, the Dave Smith episode. So hopefully we'll get a boost of people uh, following along for that. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Is this perfect timing we're doing that? Cause it's kind of like, we're doing this, this live reading and it's kind of like, okay, well, if you like these ideas, uh, come check this out. So, you know, uh, but I do suggest you guys poke in for that people here. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to this chapter uh, that you want to touch on. Or... Um, I think we basically summed it up. <clears throat> when we do the Dave Smith thing, you should definitely um, promote this because there's going to oh, be a sure. lot of people from like the LPMC and a lot of his like fans and followers who are going to be tuning in and maybe for the first time they'll be exposed to some of these ideas. Maybe yeah. we could drag some of them over or at least open their eyes a little bit, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Dave uh, – <laughs> And I'm not even saying that he wouldn't change his position, but there is some sort of like subconscious thing that happens once you choose a position. Uh, right, so I, exactly. I, I, yeah, I don't even necessarily think we're going to change his mind. I think we might have an interesting – I think there's a good chance we have an interesting discussion. Maybe we kind of plant little seeds in his head. Who knows? I don't know. Like, I, I, but I'm not at all thinking we're going to have a discussion with Dave and he's at the end and be like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen either, but that's my point. That's why I don't um, – I usually try to avoid debates because, like I said, you get pigeonholed into defending your position. I defend mine, and it's – even if you make great points, I'm like, well, I got to sort of like think of a way around it. And like that's not my style. If you tell me something that 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 I haven't considered, I'm be like, hey, Jose, that's a really good fucking point, man. Yeah. I never thought about that. Now, I need some time to consider that. And, like, if you do that in a debate, everyone's like, oh, they got you. And yeah. I just, just not my style. I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? It's just, like, I'd much rather – I'm much more interested in um, getting to the truth of the matter than I am in being right myself. It's funny. They called you Timothy Leary in, uh, <laughs> in the chat. I forget who Timothy Leary is. drugging people. Uh, you're drugging that, people. That's why. Drugging people? Timothy Leary. Who is that? I know that the name rings a bell. I just can't recall. <laughs> do you remember um, – the acid tests. No, you're not. You're not a dead fan. No, it, it doesn't ring a bell. Tim Leary, um, as long as I'm thinking of the right guy, was uh, he was like the the dude who said tune in, tune out, and drop out or some shit like that. And everybody, he like he was a big promoter of doing acid, and they're they're sort of ripping on you for oh I get drug, it wanting to drug the LP people. <laughs> <laughs> just drop out guys two now i mean well i kid that there also is a point to that too because like i've been at like uh one of the other lp events too and it is kind of like and i talk to people who are in it and they like 
they're like, oh my God, this shit is so gay. I hate this. We have to vote on this. We have to vote on that. But then you have like me who's there after. And then we're like just cutting it up, having fun. And I don't have to do any of the other bullshit. And they're like, he's just hanging out. So like in their head, there's this like subtle, like I could just be coming here and hanging out. <laughs> Like, I don't have to do this other bullshit. Too <laughs> funny. That's that. That's actually that. Maybe that really should be our strategy. We'll just flood these <laughs> LP meetings with people who just don't want to do anything. Yeah, yeah and you know, it's not even like you're going there to be like a a Bible thumper and like hit him over the head. But if it comes up, you know, because that's because I mean, whenever you go to these libertarian events, we all get drunk and high, and then like, I, as like while this may sound awful to like any normie who's listening we end up talking about libertarian theory or like you know shit like that like that is just what happens and but but you're in a more vulnerable like willing to exchange and you're usually not trying to be dicks to each other mm. so it's like i don't know it's, it's a different environment it's fun i'm definitely looking not, forward to it not twitter in other no, words. yeah no yeah real life is it's way cooler i love all the uh like libertarian events they're, they're so much fun um i'm trying to get you to come to that one that should be good uh, when is that again? I know you told me the, the, the dates. I, I have it written down somewhere. Yeah, I, I guess maybe there's somebody in Florida here that might want to show up. Uh, the 25th to the 27th, Friday, Saturday, okay. and Sunday of this month, February. Uh, I'll be there the 26th. So if anyone out there uh, in my huge audience <laughs> wants to show up, uh, that would be fun. Uh, I was like, like two, weeks. Yeah. two weeks. Two weeks and two days. I say that jokingly, but I, I, it was weird. Even with my, like, I only have like a 1.3K uh, subs. And like, but even then, like when I went to the last libertarian event, there were so many people were like, "Oh, you're Jose." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> like, it's fucking weird, you know, like being a niche internet celebrity in a very small pond, you know." <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's weird I, stuff. I, right? I, I I gave a speech at the Bitcoin conference, and like, there's like a mob of people waiting for me to get off the stage, and I'm like, "What's going on here?" You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I make like a couple hundred bucks off this. <laughs> Yeah. i'm not a big dude like at yeah. all but i know it's fun they're, they're, they're a lot of fun so anyone who does go to that i mean not that i think you think this but maybe you do some people have a weird idea i have no problem talking to you so you know, uh just don't be fucking weird <laughs> well so, most libertarians are weird yeah but you know what i mean um all right uh, i guess if you want to drop plugs uh yeah uh the book anti-politics that's that's going to be Jose's next live reading. Um, <laughs> other than that, you can follow me on social media at Sally Mayweather, Salvia Agorist, Agorist Threads for Anarchist Apparel. And of course, 3dprintergobird.com for 3D printers and supplies. You can pay with cryptocurrency to avoid KYC payment platforms. We're out of stock right now <clears throat> on basically everything because of this fucking supply chain bullshit. But I'm working with the Chinese suppliers to try to get um, more printers back in stock. I don't know how long it's going to be, but keep your eyes posted. If you really want one, shoot me a DM and I'll see what I can do for you. All right, cool. Uh, this is uh, the No Way Jose Show. I'm on YouTube, all the major audio podcasters, Odyssey as well. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at 2020NoWayJose. If you want to give me money, I like money. Patreon.com is no way Jose 2020 Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. And with that, we are out. Thanks for everyone who showed up. Thanks for coming, Sal. Thank you.